Hi, I'm Philip Blumel, President of U.S. Term Limits. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Term Limits Movement for September 24, 2018. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. Our nation's most politicized Supreme Court and our most notorious statewide political machine have re-earned their reputations this month, prohibiting voters from weighing in on two important term limits measures in November. In Florida, voters statewide will not be able to consider Amendment 8, which would impose eight-year term limits on all school board members. In Chicago, Governor Pat Quinn's ballot measure to term limit the mayor of Chicago was yanked by an electoral board. Politicians and special interests knew these measures would win overwhelmingly. Their only hope was to get some help from their friends on courts and electoral boards, and they got it. I'm here with Austin Zeckel, also with U.S. Term Limits. Hi, Austin. Hey, Phil. How are you doing today, sir? So we've had some setbacks uh, recently, and at least challenges popping up. Um, You and I both attended the Supreme Court of Florida meeting in West Palm Beach, uh, when they decided the fate of Amendment 8, which we've been talking about on these podcasts. It was uh, disheartening. <laughs> it was, to say the least. I've never seen a uh, Supreme Court in session before. I've been in many courtrooms. I was framed every time, I promise. And, uh, uh, but, <laughs> but, um, uh, and I, but I have been in many courtrooms and, and, um, and seen the, you know, the efficiency and the, the rule of law in action. But the Supreme Court was more like being in front of a city council. It was definitely a politicized body, and that's really the reason why we get a lot of these politicized uh, results. Uh, turns out that the Supreme Court of Florida pulled Amendment 8, eight years term limits for school boards, off the ballot. And I think that the, the biggest loss, um, not only for, for term limits' sake, but is really the Florida voters are now disenfranchised. The League of Women Voters' first argument and, and main argument here is that the ballot language itself was deceptive. The argument from the opponents was were that the uh, uh, language of the ballot measure did not specifically include the words charter schools um, because it, this was a three-part amendment, one of which was uh, advancing civic literacy, one of them was term limits on school boards, and one of them was giving the state authority over schools in school board districts that weren't created by the school board districts. And these schools could be magnet schools. They could be charter schools. They could be exactly. um, online schools. It could be any kind of – Vocational. Even, but because charter schools weren't specified, the, uh, the opponents saying that this was misleading. Well, okay. Um, in any case, the Supreme Court agreed with them, and uh, we lost. It's off, and there's uh, the voters are going to miss out. And, you know – Ultimately, the kids are going to miss out on having a uh, more vibrant and um, uh, innovative uh, educational system in the state of Florida. This is a public service announcement with guitar. In this public service announcement, notorious lobbyist Jack Abramoff comes clean about his former opposition to term limits. Abramoff was at the center of an extensive corruption investigation in the early 2000s, which led to 21 people, including him, either pleading guilty or being found guilty, including two White House officials, U.S. Representative Bob Ney, and nine other lobbyists and congressional aides. After a guilty plea in the Jack Abramoff Native American lobbying scandal and his dealings with Sun Cruise Casinos in January 2006, He was sentenced to six years in federal prison for mail fraud, conspiracy to bribe public officials, and tax evasion. 
After his release from prison, he wrote the autobiographical book Capital Punishment, The Hard Truth About Washington Corruption from America's Most Notorious Lobbyist. And he was also featured in the film Casino Jack, released in 2010, starring Kevin Spacey as Abramoff himself. Jack knows a thing or two about corruption, and redemption, too. Congress will never be fixed without term limits, and I should know. I used to be one of the biggest lobbyists in Washington. Lobbyists and the special interests have our government in their grips. America's furious with what has become of our republic, but few know what to do about it. I'll tell you one thing that would make a huge difference, term limits. When I was a lobbyist, I hated the idea that a congressman who I had bought with years of contributions would decide to retire. That meant I had to start all over again with a new member, losing all the control I bought with years of checks. One of the best ways to reduce lobbyists and special interest control in Washington is to enact term limits for members of Congress. If you want to see pigs screeching at the trough, tell them they can't stay there forever. There's no trough as dangerous as the one in Washington. So let's clean up the corrupt mess. Let's enact term limits and restore control of our nation to the people. Um, Next up, another frustration in um, Chicago. We see the effort to term limit the mayor of Chicago pulled off the ballot. Even after former Governor Quinn and his group, Take Charge Chicago, collected 86,000 signatures to put this on the ballot, and uh, the electoral board threw it off. That's a shame. It is. Um, In this case, there was no question of it being confusing or misleading. It was a straightforward term limit on the the mayor. Um, But in this case, there's a uh, rule in uh, Illinois that you can only have three referenda on the ballot. Now, (laughs) so get (laughs) this. The catch. (laughs) Yeah. So you can only have three, which, okay, they don't want to have a long ballot full of a bunch of It's understandable. Yeah, it is. Um, but the thing is, when the council is faced with a question they don't want to see on the ballot, they put extra questions on the yeah. ballot to knock them off. So apparently there was some crucial questions that had to be on the ballot, and the council put them on there in this summer when they saw that this tournament, was, this tournament uh, campaign was picking up steam. And so some of the questions that will be on there instead of tournaments – will be whether or not plastic straws should be banned or the possibility of creating a new homeowner's property tax exemption. So these are questions that uh, could be decided by other ways, but it doesn't make a difference. The reason why they're put on the ballot right now is simply to knock the turn limits off. And that's, again, the we're seeing the, the shortcomings of the courts around the country. I mean, in Florida, in Illinois... Um, This is why the initiative process is so important, and it's not going away, and I hope that the people in Chicago will um, live to fight another day, even though that their their hopes of getting real representation is, is, you know, outright squashed right now. But let's let's hope that this happens again sometime in the future, because, I mean, nearly 100,000 signatures. Sure, sure. That's amazing. And Governor Pat Quinn... um he has a long record of being involved in efforts like this. He has been a uh, – he's always casted himself as a reformer and has been a big proponent of term limits. In the 70s, he worked on the, the, the effort to give the Citizens Initiative to Illinois. And then in 1994, he led the effort to limit the terms of legislators to eight years in office. He called it the Eight is Enough Initiative. And he collected the signatures and put it on the ballot, and the politicized Supreme Court of Illinois oh. threw it off. In 2008, he uh, fought for uh, 
the, uh, giving the Illinois voters the right of recall. And courts threw it off. So he's had this experience before. And, of course, just recently in, in 2014, the current governor of Illinois, Bruce Rauner, uh, spearheaded an effort to put ter- uh, legislative tournaments on the ballot once again. And the Supreme Court pu- uh, pulled it off, even though this new effort looked at the old case with Governor Pat Quinn's effort and met the objections of the Supreme Court back then, but it wasn't enough. The court found new reasons to take it off the ballot. <laughs> How convenient. Yeah. I've, what I find so fascinating about Illinois is that, one, it's a poster child for term limits. It's one of the poorest-run states in America, in spite of the fact that they have the, the most experience in their speaker, Madigan, yeah, he has the, the record for, um, and I actually found out recently, too, it's not even just for a speaker, but he is the longest-serving legislative leader in U.S. history That's right. at the state level. That's I mean, right. he's been in office since the 70s. He's been serving as a speaker since the early 80s. Um, I mean, this guy, Madigan, ultimately just runs the state of Illinois, yeah, um, and it's it's a toll booth, and, that, and that's what it looks like the same situation in Congress where you have a seniority-based system where there's one man at the top, and you have to go through him or not in order to get things done or passed or reformed. Yep. What have you, you've got to go through him. And Everyone knows it. Um, yeah. Pat Quinn was a Democratic Still governor. Secret. Bruce Rauner is a Republican governor. Yeah. Both trying to get legislative tournaments passed, and the machine um, shoots it down. And I'll tell you an example of this machine in, in, at, at work. Um, in this election cycle, there were three states uh, senator state Senate candidates, three women uh, from the suburbs of Chicago that were running, that are running uh, for the state Senate, and all three of them ran ads in favor of tournaments that actually mentioned Madigan by name. And this was... Same party. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They were Democrats, too. And um, this really created an an, an uproar. And uh, these these candidates were Laura Ellman, Ann Gillespie, and Bridget Fitzgerald. And they're running in... in, um, uh, let's currently Republican-held seats in uh, Chicago suburbs. Well, this didn't sit well with uh, Speaker Madigan, no. and it also <laughs> didn't sit well with the Chicago Federation of Labor, uh, who intervened. And uh, the uh, Chicago Federation of Labor said that they'll, they were going to withhold $5 million of campaign cash for Senate Democrats A lot of if money. these ads didn't get pulled. And so guess what? They got pulled. you know um so the the senate democratic victory committee came up with some excuse like well that was just our original ads anyway and they were going to put out new ones so it's no big deal and blah 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 um nonsense um the people know they need term limits and the machine is coming down on anyone that, uh, that that opposes them this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. I want to give you a pledge update on September 21st, 2018. Every election cycle, we do a pledge program. Some pledges are for congressional candidates. Other pledges are for state legislative candidates. We do a state legislative pledge that asks legislative candidates to co-sponsor or support our resolutions for term limits on Congress. The pledge reads, I pledge that as a member of the state legislature, I will co-sponsor and vote for the resolution applying for an Article 5 convention for the sole purpose of enacting term limits on Congress. This 2018 cycle, we've had over 280 state legislative candidates sign the pledge. Of those 280, 186 are still in it going into the November general election. Conspiracy. Conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. conspiracy.
Convention Conspiracy, or ConCon, is losing its fearful power. In the animated movie Monsters, Inc., the company in the movie title was falling on hard times as it became too difficult to terrify human children in a modern society. Yet, fear, an energy source, was how the firm generated its profits. The opponents of the term limits convention are running into the same problem. Once considered a potent tool to thwart efforts to limit terms of Congress, the myth of the convention conspiracy, or CONCON, is losing its ability to scare voters, legislators, and presumably children who do their homework. The conspiracy conventioneers claim that nefarious sources, including groups like U.S. term limits, are plotting to use an Article 5 amendment convention to rewrite or abolish the Constitution. That's nonsense. This isn't a constitutional convention. It's an Article 5 amendment proposal convention. Totally different animal. Under Article 5, the founders provided two methods for amending the Constitution. One is the congressional method under which the U.S. Congress can, with a two-thirds vote, propose a constitutional amendment. The second method for proposing amendments is the convention route. The states needed a way to amend the Constitution without relying on Congress. Hence, the convention route was added. The final draft largely written by Federalist James Madison and approved unanimously at the Constitutional Convention of 1787. The convention route gives a convention called upon applications by two-thirds of the states, the same power as Congress has to propose amendments. The convention is, as Article 5 states, a convention for proposing amendments. In other words, it's just a discussion. Unlike a session of Congress, conventions can be called for limited purposes. Indeed, nearly all applications for Article 5 conventions have been applications for conventions to tackle specific issues. Historically, there have been more than 400 calls, with at least one from every state. If 34 states apply for a limited convention, a limited convention will be called. There is no reason to think that a convention would not be limited. As a matter of fact, states are passing resolutions defining the role and bounds of the convention delegates. Indeed, in spite of occasional grandstanding by politicians, conventions have historically stayed on subject. But the real safeguard lies with the states and with the people. To think that anything outrageous or even controversial can survive that gauntlet is quite fanciful. Indeed, we believe only immensely popular and bipartisan proposals like term limits or maybe a balanced budget amendment have a snowball's chance of meeting that threshold. This does not mean we never hear about the convention conspiracy as we advocate for a term limits convention. But increasingly, the con-con myth is used as a cover for politicians and front groups who don't want to admit to voters they oppose term limits or a balanced budget amendment. They would rather pretend they are standing up for citizens rather than against them. They know there are still good people who, having not yet investigated the con-con, will quake as the term limits opponents share their ghastly tale. However, there are less and less every day. Just as in the movie, no one is a greater threat to the fear mongers than someone who knows the truth and is not afraid to use that power granted to us by the Constitution itself. If you've done your research and know the only way to get term limits on Congress is through a term limits proposal convention, please go to termlimits.com and sign the petition. Okay, now it is time for our Outrage of the Week. This week's episode, as usual, is brought to you by the U.S. Congress. Representative Chris Collins, who represents Western New York near Buffalo, was arrested on August 8th for insider trading. 
According to the Wall Street Journal, he was charged with the scheme to, quote, sell the shares of an Australian biotechnology company before the public disclosure of a failed drug trial. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan accused Collins, 68 years old, of tipping off his son last summer about the results of a multiple sclerosis drug trial completed by Innate Immunotherapeutics Limited, a biotechnology company based in Sydney. Representative Collins was a member of Innate's board of directors and one of the company's largest shareholders, the indictment said. The punchline of the Wall Street Journal report is this last paragraph, quote, the arrest of Representative Collins will likely tighten his re-election campaign. <laughs> well, yeah, one would think it would. And as it turns out, it did. Collins announced he was dropping out of the race on August 13th. Prior to dropping out, Collins' campaign had all the hallmarks of a, of a race in a non-terminated legislature against an entrenched incumbent. He won his previous elections with 72% and 67% in 2014 and 2016 against paper candidates, and he didn't face a challenger in this year's primary either. So he was headed to the ballot in November to face a small town city council member, Grand Island Town Supervisor Nate McMurray. Collins had a $1.3 million campaign chest compared to McMurray's 81,772. If Collins hadn't dropped out of the race, it is not far-fetched to imagine he would still win. The power of incumbency is just that great. In 2012, for instance, Representative Michael Grimm, who is also a New York representative, won re-election while battling a 20-count indictment against him. He won the election, but he never finished his term because he was found guilty and sent to prison for tax evasion. Being indicted is nothing new in Washington. Collins will be the 25th sitting member of Congress to be indicted with a felony since 1987, according to the Buffalo News. Insider trading is also nothing new in Washington. Also in 2012, the Congress passed the Stock Act, which stands for Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act. It seemed like everyone from Congress members to the interns were cashing in on non-public info obtained by the government at that time. An interesting side note, attached to the Senate version of the Stock Act was an amendment by then-Senator Jim DeMint. DeMint's amendment would have expressed the non-binding sense of the Senate that the Constitution ought to be amended to place limits on how long members of Congress can serve. It was soundly rejected in a 24 to 75 vote. Are you outraged? I am. Let's go do something about it. <laughs> Illinois is amongst the most corrupt states. That hardly needs any, uh, uh, needs any more to be said about that. Illinois state elections are simply not competitive. From 2001 to 2014, it turns out that 97% of incumbents won re-election in Illinois. Why even have elections? I mean, right. That's outrageous. I mean, the odds are stacked against you enough as is in regular, you know, places where there already are term limits, you know, in, in, in competitive open seat elections. But to have to go into to battle knowing that you're going to lose 97% of the time right. is just... It, it's normal in Illinois for half of the legislative seats to be uncontested. Half. So tell that to the next person that says to you, oh, we already have term limits that are called elections. No, you don't. And only in half the seats, there's not elections even being held. Yeah, they literally don't take place. You know, it's it's a funny state in a lot of different ways and that, that power structure that is so centralized in the in that speaker that's been there forever. Um, another thing that's that's different about it is that the party caucus leaders have an enormous amount of power. In other states, and also even in the U.S. Congress, committee chairmen are the ones that have this tremendous power. 
But in Illinois, committees are more like rubber stamps for what party leadership wants. And of course, the party's leadership right now is Democrat. And the leadership even chooses staff for legislators, doles out campaign money for targeted races around the state, and things like that. So the term limits, you'll see, will change that because that party leadership is going to be constantly rotating. And uh, Chris Mooney, who's a professor of political studies with the Institute of Government Affairs at the University of Illinois, says that uh, this may be the most profound effect when term limits finally get enacted in Illinois. Because he said that the most prominent char- characteristic of recent General Assemblies is the centralization of power in the hands of long-serving party caucus leaders. By ousting these and other senior legislators, term limits will almost certainly affect a complete reconfiguration of the state's political power structure. I think welfare recipients should be drug tested before they can run for re-election. Did you know that members of Congress get prescription drugs hand-delivered to their offices? Yeah, it's done by Grubbs Pharmacy, which is the oldest in Washington. It's a cool perk that nobody else in America has, and that's pretty much par for the course in Washington. But there's a lot more to that story, and it should alarm every American. Mike Kim, the owner of Grubbs Pharmacy, told Stat News that he is routinely filling prescriptions for drugs that treat Alzheimer's disease. For members of Congress. We just talk to our shrinks. They talk to the shrinks. No wonder we're up the wall. If pharmacists are shipping Alzheimer's medication to Capitol Hill, then some number of congressmen are medically unqualified to hold office. And we don't know which ones or how many. They could be backbenchers, or they could be sitting at the upper tiers of leadership, making decisions of global significance. Since your ranking Congress is based mostly on seniority, the oldest members have the most power. That's terrifying. Here's what Mike Kim, the pharmacist, said. At first it's cool, and then you realize, wow, I'm filling some drugs that are for some pretty serious health problems. And these are the people that are running the country. There are 44 congressional districts in which the age of the representative is more than double the median age of his or her constituents. On the Senate side, 18 of the 33 senators running for re-election in 2018 will be 65 or older. Several of them, including Dianne Feinstein and Bill Nelson, will be well into their 80s by the time they spend another six years in office. Obviously, these trends don't necessarily mean Congress has a problem. Many people experience little to no loss in mental sharpness as they age, but there have been enough red flags lately to merit some concern. Mississippi Senator Thad Cochran recently had to step down from the Senate, but before that, Politico had documented that Cochran appeared frail and at times disoriented during their interview with him. Cochran at one point needed a staffer to remind him where the Senate chamber is located, despite having served in that chamber for the last 40 years. After locating the chamber, Cochran cast the wrong vote on a bill and had to correct himself after an aide pointed out the error. New research suggests that the relationship between power and mental decline could be even worse than scientists had imagined. Not only are people with brain damage finding their way into powerful posts, but the evidence shows that power might also cause brain damage. Subjects under the influence of power, according to Dacker Keltner, a University of California Berkeley professor, acted as if they had suffered a traumatic brain injury, becoming more impulsive, less risk-averse, 
and crucially, less adept at seeing things from other people's point of view. That means power is literally going to people's heads and damaging their brains. Perhaps that's why 33 states have mandatory retirement ages for judges and 36 states impose term limits on their governors. It's not realistic to expect unwell politicians to come clean with the public and step down, nor will their co-workers, who depend on those members for support, feel inclined to go out in public and say their friends are sick. A better solution is changing the basic rules of the game to ensure members are not likely to lose their marbles on the job, and if it happens, to ensure the problem cannot continue for decades. The only way to accomplish that is through congressional term limits. President Harry Truman, in the aftermath of World War II, sent a handwritten note to Congress demanding the passage of term limits. We'd help to cure seniority and senility, both terrible legislative diseases, Truman wrote. The appropriations committees of the House and Senate are aged and decrepit men who, if they think at all, have backward thinking. Truman's words are a prophetic description of today's Congress, where the recent chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee briefly forgot that he was even on the committee at all. That chairman was Thad Cochran. The revolution isn't being televised. Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast. 